Welcome to season two of the Mosaic Arc. Yes, I can't believe it. We made it a whole year and wow, what a journey it's been. Thank you all so much who have sailed with us from August to August. We are embarking now on, on a new year and a new series of stories and we have no idea where we're going. So we start <laughs> as we, as we, I mean, I think we knew a little bit uh, at the beginning of last year, the kinds of things that we wanted to talk about because we need to like lay some ground for thinking about Christ and history and the way we think about empire and nation. And we knew we wanted to talk about art and, oh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of us, right? <laughs> we made it all the way around the sun to the point where hopefully we can now start building on our understanding and thinking about things that I recognize. And of course we are different from every other live stream on the internet because we actually go somewhere <laughs> continually reiterating the same internet drama over and over and over again and doing okay i get it right i get why people like basically the um but is it the wrestling wwe right where you go i'm gonna have this guy on and we're gonna fight about that guy and i'm gonna smash talk that we will maybe 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 we should we should learn from the boys just a little bit but on the way you know, we're going to tell you stories and we're going to seek to um, unpack the mysteries and symbolism and resonances that are out there playing along all of the lines of the internet and that are affecting us all in our lives. So we're really grateful that everyone <laughs> stuck with us for the whole year and we are launching tonight on our second season mainly because i realized that if the way i was setting up the episode guide on the website was going to crash if i kept listening so many so we have to do another set basically that's how many we've done so welcome um tonight tonight we have a special story to talk about and realizing i realized we've done all these episodes talking about the right the story that we're writing now but we actually haven't told you that much about the story you've already written. So tonight's story time. Welcome to the Mosaic Arc. Are you my dear we made it a whole year can you believe it yeah, we did <laughs> a whole year 
sailing together <laughs> in a digital arc. <laughs> you remember you remember how this time last year, A, at literally this time last year we didn't have our set yet because I had to learn OBS yeah. to be able to design this whole thing. I hope you guys are impressed at yeah. how techy we are and how beautifully how beautifully we've carried on through so many different locations. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> promising, promising it's that we great. will stream from our mother's basement on a regular basis, one way or another. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, there's been no, <laughs> no location too distant <laughs> or subterranean. <laughs> it's been great. Well, I do. I do have some plans. There are going to be some more mother's basement episodes in the near future since it's summer. We need to take our summer holiday. Um, I, you know, I think I, 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 we should, Patrick told us when he was on for our marathon that we should dream big, right? Although I'm not sure what, was that in, was that in the after party or in the live stream? I don't care. Anyway, we should, you know, we should dream after big. After six hours, it was all just one. Who knows? <laughs> one long rave. Who knows? We, we, we do, we do have, you know, offers from, oh, Patrick, yeah, Patrick, you're coming back on. Um, we I don't think we're going to do regular guests because I don't, I, you know, uh, why, would, why would we want regular guests? <laughs> if you, if you want to be a guest on the Mosaic Arc, it's got to be very special. You're going to have to like audition for us and give us something useful that we can pick your brains on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 just coming in our, in our boudoir and, 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 and thinking that we'll entertain you without money. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we got honest really quick, didn't we? <laughs> well, I just, I want to set the parameters the for the new we... year. I mean, you know, we have, we've, yeah. we've gone some pretty, we have gone <laughs> such dangerous places that I think some people are terrified to talk to us now. Oh, I think some people definitely must be very scared to talk to us. <laughs> what are they going to bring up next? It might be like mm-hmm. aesthetics or something. <laughs> Oh, no, we might have a terrible. We might have negative opinions on somebody else's work. <laughs> we might use big words. Uh, <clears throat> might use the wrong words. The naughty words on the band list. Well, we're artists. We're supposed to, right? So I'm still, I'm still, yeah. I'm in the middle of reading this Henry Hitchens book, which I've still forgotten what the title is, The Secret Life of Words or something like that, right? It's like mm-hmm. English, and I've talked about this or in some of our episodes where we've talked about English and poetry. I still love English. I, I did pirate language. because <laughs> It really has gone around the world scooping up everybody else's vocabulary. Yeah that we have famously such a rich vocabulary because we steal everybody else's words. Although <laughs> most of the time when Hitchens is talking about like foreign words and how they become English, I'm like, those are still foreign words. I, I it's I, occasionally they're ones that I, I think we've naturalized to the point where we recognize they're not, uh, we can't recognize anymore that they're alien, foreign, plundered. Um, but, but most of the time English wears its, its plunder pretty, pretty boldly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. straight up they're proudly proudly flashing their stolen ways <laughs> their blood I mean, the diamonds their exactly, scepters exactly. that they use in their coronations <laughs> that they've stolen their rocks from around the world yeah yes yeah well i've been hammering that theme this week uh quite a lot about the the mines in south africa yeah because you know we're we're global south here so we have a we have a different experience of civilization down in the global south <laughs> B 
being that we're glorified mining towns in many ways and all of our countries down here have been carved out of a relationship with mining and going into the earth to dig it out mm -hmm. dig dig precious little rocks out of the ground for uh well for for people that want those precious precious little rocks dug out of the ground so yeah we're gonna we're, we, <laughs> we, we are still promising to do a proper snow white episode clearly right if we're going to talk about mining mm -hmm. rocks beautiful mm -hmm. rocks yeah hi ho hi ho <laughs> <laughs> i say that's i mean we did talk about deadwood we did did we did talk about deadwood back some time yeah, we've ago mentioned right deadwood. you know that's that's a mining boom town Certainly, the, mm -hmm. the United the 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 American West, like Australia, is mining and boomtown and and we, oh, we yes. definitely yes. Yeah, so here, here, this is this is the part of the show where we project all of the things we forgot we did, and we'll do again. Um, and I we did did we do a proper episode on um on Depp's uh Tonto, um, and the Constitution yeah, and the silver. I will, I, I... Yes, 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 yes. You yeah, didn't have the bird, I tried right? To do yeah. the, I tried to do the Tonto makeup, but I didn't have enough white. <laughs> <laughs> so we remind you guys, A, we're thematic and we come back to themes and we are very capable of kind of remembering what we talked about previously. <laughs> but but for those of you who have not actually seen absolutely every episode, maybe reincorporation will help and, you know, go back and look at the look at there was a fuller treatment of this in the previous season somewhere. Back in the back in the blurbs, we promise probably, yeah. The um, yeah. Well, the I mean the the mining thing. So that you know the the Tonto Wild West boomtown. I was I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and uh, she's Italian, and she was saying you know we're sitting there we're we're speaking, vog to vog so we can be a little bit honest we're being cheeky mm. we're sitting there she says there's something wrong here i get off the plane every time i return to this country and i feel like i'm in an ascetic environment you know it's sterilized i said yeah but you know why they you know why they sterilize the place right and she said no i just don't understand it because they have time off they, they, they it's like they can't enjoy life they just stop working i said yeah it's because we got rid of all the irish she said, what do you mean? I said, do you notice here that there are no Irish communities anymore anywhere? She goes, I didn't even know there were Irish communities here in the beginning. <laughs> Gone. Whoosh. So I said, this is a, this is the mining town without the Irish playing in it. She said, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense. So yeah, we're, we're, we're analyzing what was going on here. And I said, the culture's gone into a boom or bust kind of phase where we're getting tons and tons of people migrating into it by they're migrating because of economic reasons mm -hmm. they're not migrating to a culture so we're running on mining dynamics constantly it's just that people aren't going into holes now they're going into financial sector they're going to corporate mines so we're all playing minecraft down here in the global south and it's uh yeah <laughs> that is so interesting so i was i was in phoenix back in a few weeks ago because of summer nationals for fencing back competing in the mm -hmm. fencing and there was a a pasty shop right like cornish pasties filled oh pasties pasties whatever they are and <laughs> it was interesting because there was pictures of mining all over the 
the restaurant. Oh, yeah. And when I came back, I was like, my husband, my husband was saying, yeah, I said, we went to this pasty shop and he's like, oh yeah, it must've been a lot of Welsh there. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. It's because Phoenix, it, you know, they were mines. They were mines. So there was, that was, those were the only things that were open. It was like super hot. Phoenix is in the middle of a massive heat so wave for deck, uh, you know, two weeks or so. We were there in the, in part of it, the beginning of this 115 degree weather. And the only things were open because it was around 4th of July. <laughs> these two irish pubs <laughs> <laughs> so i like chicken pot pie one night in arizona yeah <laughs> and then and then cornish pasties right and in within a restaurant surrounded by pictures of guys and you know coal mines and kids and, and mm. things like that and and my husband who's english was like yeah there's a there's a lot of mining down there and i'm like uh-huh mm-hmm yeah yeah they used to cook them they used to cook them with the uh, half savory and then the other half it was a sweet and they had that big piece of uh crust on the outside mm -hmm. because the the boys in the mines would have dirty hands they couldn't wash them when they're on the job right so they'd hold the big thick crust eat it they'd have their savory their sweet and then they throw the crust on the ground it's really cool well it's these really crusts cool. were actually quite tasty <laughs> but yes it's like that that's all you got in the the you know meal right was the thing mm -hmm. the, the filled crust right yeah work working yeah, miners food real uh, uh a real symbol of toil yeah. the pasty yeah there's a lot of pasties in australia you can go to any bakery in australia and you can get a pasty well there's there's the hidden mining no the it's the hidden it, mines and all of those pasties <clears throat> Yeah. I don't think people know the history of them. <laughs> They're just eating them and they eat the crust now because, of course, their hands aren't dirty. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is, I mean, I, I think we, we clearly need to keep doing some more history. I mean, this is this is one of the things that we're talking about where we're getting into Act 2 and Draco Chemicus and mm -hmm. our characters are going to be telling fairy stories about spice. Um, but the spices mm -hmm. are, of course, various and myth mythical in the in the proper Draco Chemican sense, and the this mythology of the earth. I mean, that's one of the things we're starting with, right? The iron mining mm -hmm. and metallurgy, and the transformations that humanity has put rocks through <laughs> in order mm -hmm. to end up with skyscrapers and. I mean, I spent a lot of last year thinking about, or the year before, I forgot. I might not even know which time zone we're on anymore. Glass, <laughs> right? Which we, we, which we have talked about, mm -hmm. that glass is molten rock. Yeah. And, and the way we are transforming the earth into our cities and our technologies and our communications and our gyms. Hmm. Mm -hmm. This is just so y'all know. This is all actually topical to the story that we're going to talk about tonight too, because it's got some rocks <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of shiny rocks. Shiny rocks. Well, this is—I mean, this has been one yeah. of our continuing themes, right? Of the, I think, and we talked about this in our first episode last last our, first, our very first episode last season. The the story. I guess we did talk about a we did talk about a Roberry House last summer because we talked some about the the rock the the um. <clears throat> In the darkest earth, the great light shines, right? Yes. And that that transformation of coal into diamond 
is one of the mysteries that we were meditating on and in, in, in telling um, the story about the bears. Yeah. Yeah, we had a we had an overview of, of one of the riddles. That particular riddle is like a key piece of the story because in this in this uh, little fairy tale that we've uh, created, of course, the bears are leaving the, the northern hemisphere to find this, uh, the southern aurora. So the story is about the search for lights. Mm -hmm. We've started, we start our story with the beginning, uh, uh, the, the beginning of the search for, for the light of the world. Um, and of course, because gems are uh, refracting light and they do things to the light that we wanted to uh, incorporate a lot of them in the story. And again, point to where in the scriptures, the Israelites were also meditating on, uh, on, on the role of gemstones in, in uh, the imagination of Israel. Right. So, hmm. We got, we got a super chat from Yan ZG saying happy anniversary. Thank you. Yes. Casey going happy one of your anniversary mail. I can't believe it's <clears> been a whole year. I know I it's, it's, anniversaries are interesting for me that way because sometimes like suddenly a year is a long time but then with the anniversary it seems like that collapses it's like now it's a count right it's like you've you've done one yeah um but that a year is in fact a very long time lots can happen in a year you can end up with a baby in a year yeah, I I just I want before we go on the story, I wanted to get you to to talk a little bit more about why you've been thinking about the southern mining, and, and put that in context. Oh, because as as sure. you were saying that, I was sure. also thinking of how. So you know the world is the the world has changed so much in a year and not at all, um, where mm -hmm. politically now I mean some of the things we talked about last year with the Anglo nationalism has become even more apparent mm. uh, the degree to which the American empire needs to reconfigure its self-perception. <laughs> it is certainly not going to get to be the monopole of, you know, world good guys anymore, basically. I mean, that, 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 that particular mythology has, I think, crashed and, and is, is careening around mm -hmm. the universe right now. Uh, but yeah. that mining and I mean mining and spice are so critical to what we're watching play out right now. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've been thinking and talking about this because uh, of the the video that was posted by the EFF party in South Africa. Uh, Malema. What's the EFF? Has been I don't out. know what that is. Uh, it's it's a far right, far left wing, like basically. Uh, Marxist Revolutionary Party okay. in in South Africa. It's an offshoot of the ANC, and they just went further left. And um, the ANC uh, is the one that's been. Of... So you're you're you may be a little more familiar with this than all of us Northern Hemisphere. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll stop using acronyms, acronyms, please. <laughs> all right. So apartheid collapses. ANC gets into power. African National right. Congress, and that's sort of like the anti-apartheid, you know, progressive party of South Africa. And uh, then 
they have their youth wing of the party. So it's very much like national socialists in Germany in that sense. Um, then they've got lots of different factions and whatever that are inside it. This guy who was in the video, he comes from ANC party, but he started his own thing, EFF, which is even further left. And basically everybody in the North or in the Anglosphere or the West or whatever has looked at this video and said, oh my God, this is horrific. It's like a race war. Yeah, obviously, but South Africa is a race war. So me and my own gadfly away, I just sort of thought, hold on, this is yet another opportunity to look at the mess that was made down there because I don't like South Africa. I love Africa. So again, it's like a contrast thing to sort of say, okay, why I can say that, but that country is a, is a really, um, complicated gulag of race wars that was created around the, uh, the avaricious lust for, um, the things that were in the ground in South Africa. And the Australian story is a part of that because South Africa is essentially a turf war between the Dutch and the, the English and um, then uh, Bantu, Bantu people that came down from uh, further north of South Africa. Mm-hmm. But this whole situation with colonial South Africa is that it's an Anglo-Dutch turf war. And Australia got involved in this in the Second Boer War. People don't talk about it a lot. My family do because we have a memory of being involved in the Boer mm. War. Well, what I found really interesting was that the right-wing pundits, commentaries, all the right-wingers on the, the internet are saying, oh, this is so horrible, we need to import all of these poor Boers and all the Afrikaans people, whatever the Afrikaans. And I was thinking, hold on a second, you guys don't understand how this mess was made at all. You don't understand anything about South Africa and why these Boers are being... Um, shot on their farms and uh, why all these crimes are happening and why this far-left EFF party is doing what it's doing in public. There are dynamics here that people aren't looking at. So I was thinking, okay, let me think, <laughs> let me kind of revive the the memory of uh, Australia's involvement in the Second World War. So this is going to hurt Australians. It's going to hurt a lot of people that are in America, possibly that are, you know, Team America, where we're, we're the good guys, we have the moral uh, upper hand here with the democratic people. Australia is uh, a colony, still runs on colonial uh, mechanics, as I was describing last night with my uh, with my Italian friend who understands this as well. And the Australian nation was not a nation until the middle of the Second World War. So at the time, Australia was colonies just a collection of british colonies and each colony had its own standing military and each colony sent military over to south africa to help the english destroy the boars so that the english could get monopoly over the diamond and gold mines and and let's say this bluntly if you saw a boar what color would you think they were most of the people that are talking about these polit- political issues would consider the Boers white. So Australia's colonial history. I mean, they're Dutch. Is right? Yeah, they're Dutch. I mean, they're Dutch. They're a mixture of Dutch and French Huguenots mm-hmm. that came down from France, the, you know, the French Protestants. French Catholics tried to convert them to bring them back into French nationality. They refused. 
So they said, bye, we're going. They went back, you know, all the way, really far away from France. (laughs) And then they arrived in South Africa and they were assimilated into the Dutch community there. So the the Boers are a mixture of these French Huguenots and the, the Dutch settlers that got there into South Africa. Of course, you think about who were these Dutch settlers, very similar to people that settled Mm-hmm. The Australian continent. Or New Amsterdam. New Amsterdam, maybe. New Amsterdam, when, So yeah. I actually, so some of this yeah. I've learned from you in the last few days, but when when are these Boer settlements? Because, I mean, New, New Amsterdam is 1640s, 1660s. Before, yeah, in, the, that time. I mean, in the course of these Anglo-Dutch wars in the 17th century, one of the things that happens is the English managed to get New Amsterdam for a in exchange for a nutmeg island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the New York is <laughs> ha, allegedly English. It's on top of that New Amsterdam settlement. And it's, a you know, a, an aspect of this whole 17th century jockeying for control of these sea routes. But the Boer War is, yes. is happening in the early 20th century, so it's a carry on from this competition. Yes, because yeah. um, the English and the and the Boers they didn't consider themselves the same people, right? You know, in the way back time machine of uh, of colonialism in Africa, um, they didn't look at each other and think, "Oh, we're the same. We're both whites." They considered each other mortal enemies. <laughs> there was two wars between them, right. and. Um, the the Boers had set it in this area um, called the Transvaal, and they were kind of left alone for the most part for a little while, until the English realised that the area that they'd settled, the Boers, that is, uh, the Boers was were farming and living on top of enormous gold and diamond deposits. Mm. So that kicks off the military conflict. The empire, the British Empire, that is, uh, calls for reinforcements. So the interesting thing about the Second Boer War is that the colonial army, you know, the British, the British army, the, the, the biggest infantry uh, stock that they get is from down in Australia. Uh, why that is? Because we were renowned as horse, uh, as, as horsemen. Mm. Uh, we, we, had, we had the experience of living in the bush because obviously Australia is even more bushy than like South Africa. We, we are less developed than South Africa. So <clears throat> our men were tough enough to survive African conditions, thrive in right. them, participate in guerrilla warfare in African, African conditions, bring our horses, and also had absolutely no qualms about shooting boars. None. Uh, in fact, they were participating in setting up concentration camps and starving their women and children so that they had to surrender to the English and um people i mean so, so um bugbear yeah. says happy one year as well our, our, our... Hello. <laughs> um <laughs> that uh, you know people often know that tidbit that the british invent the concentration camps but they invent them in this context it's in this conflict yeah. it's in this context to this move was the, the beginning boars, of guerrilla move the boars off of their lands so as to mine yeah them. Yeah, it was a it was a deliberate policy of ethnic uh, uh, displacement. Right. Um, they had to move an entire ethnic group off their their land in order to mine, uh, and the Boers didn't want to leave, uh, obviously, because that was their home. I mean, that's a 
mean, their, their ethnic identity is very complicated. I had a great comment on the sandwich press because someone said, you know, you can't call Boers white in the Atlanticist uh, new new West Americanized racial categories because the race categories down there are a different a different again. And the Boers have this thing called Boer exceptionalism. So you know, it's like they consider themselves white in South Africa now, but in terms of like Europeans, there's nothing European about them. Almost they've become uh, their own like mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but the Australians were involved in that, setting up the concentration camps. Uh, and at this time, they were not Australians. Australian was a kind of nickname for them. They were still the colonial subjects of the British Empire that lived in this continent. In the middle of the Boer War, in the, in the middle of this conflict, Australia federated and declared itself an independent nation. And this was also to do with mining interests. It was mining interests which provoked the Australian colonies to federate uh, in order to make it easier for the mining uh, enterprises here to function. The New Zealanders decided that they didn't want to become a part of that federation and they went off and did their own thing, which is why New Zealand is an unofficial state of Australia, although there is Mm. provision in the constitution for New Zealand to join us if they want to. But... um, There's a lot going on down here in the south that you guys aren't aware of. And usually it's got something to do with what's in the grounds and who wants control of what's in the grounds. And a lot of the racial issues that people are dealing with in South Africa, Australia and New Zealand have something to do with the, the dynamics of the mining boom phenomenon that was going on around that era. So, yeah. That's by, That's been my focus this week because, of course, everyone said, oh, it's horrible, you know, it's a genocide. I said, okay, hold on a second. Do you guys not realise that Australia was involved in the exact same behaviour uh, not that long ago? Yeah. And everyone's forgotten about it, you know? Uh, people here don't talk about it. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, a, the, you know, yet another demonstration of what we've been trying to talk about talk with people about saying that these racial categories are politicized for particular reasons that they you know the sort of even even the naturalizing it one of one of the well so this secret life of words that i'm reading i'm in the chapter on the 20th century so i read the one on the 19th century and all of these categories that are developed during the industrial revolution in order to science make scientific right you said he was marxist the the leader of this EFF group, right? Yes. Marx, M- Marxism's main claim is to be scientific. And so all, all, <laughs> I, they do, right? It's like when I teach the ABC of communism, yeah. that's one of the things that I show in the Soviet 1918, 1919 handbook, right? For the party. And it's like, they're always saying, here's the literature that you need to read. And here's like the textbook for the party. And it's, we have the science on our side, which is of course making Marx into this Moses-like prophet of historical, you know, um, realization so there's that Mm -hmm. and that all you know the racialisms that we're you know allegedly dealing with that are durable and and quote real are real in the sense of 19th century science which is mythologizing to create these political justifications over and over and over again yes well it's a it's an interesting thing because we had a lot of aboriginal people in that conflict that were passing to join again something people here don't want to talk about very much yeah. uh but that was very common in our military we had a lot of native a lot of native men that were passing in order to fight in the wars 
to fight vampire. And uh, a lot of them got stuck in South Africa. <laughs> there were a few that got stuck there because the colonial government said, oh, well, you're not allowed back in because we've got white Australia policy now. Oh, Hold on a second. We just <laughs> fought... We just fought for you. We just fought with right. you. We just killed a bunch of boars. We can't come back into our own country. <laughs> no. They closed the gates. And, again, it's the the categories that get, you know, the scientific categories that got propped up right. to make that policy. They didn't care 30 years prior, 20 years prior. It was like, no, this date, from this date, you don't count. you got to you got to make your own way home. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's funny that uh, the more I look at the history of this place, the dynamics of the British uh, colonial projects, it's very Marxist. It's just that people don't look at it in the same way mm. because, of course, it's not done in a Soviet sort of approach. They're not speaking Russian, you know. They look different, so uh, they can't be. They can't be the same thing. Surely, you know, that's different. That's British colonialism, but yeah. <laughs> trust the science was the name of the game down here it really was we know the science of uh ethnicity and we know the science of uh <clears throat> nation building yeah right so how are we going to get out of this horrible place <laughs> mining modernities modernities storytelling hmm, hmm. Oh, I guess we need better stories. Eh? <laughs> we do need better stories. And and some, I mean, I, it's so fascinating. The, obviously, the more we the more we study this, and the more I, we had we were having, we've been our our social media constantly what starts feeding into these streams because there's like these are the things that people are clearly wrestling with, right? Oh, um, yeah. And I'm I'm getting you know I have I've one attentive young man on Twitter right now, or X as Mr. Mr. South Africa is calling it, um, insist, oh. <laughs> insist, insisting without having watched our episode from last week that we wanted to say what all women want. And I'm like, I didn't use the word all in the, in the title. I just said what women really want. And he's like, you're a bigot and a narcissist because you claim to know what everybody <laughs> wants. Every All these women want. All the women I want, I know, want to be individuals. And I'm like, you do know who, you know, originally made that argument, yes. And and this this becomes funnier because in his in his his compound name to you know declare his independence from all MAGA people is it it's a it's a it's a portmanteau of various authors but the first one is Sartre, as in Jean Paul I'm assuming <laughs> who was the philosophical and physical lover of Simone de Beauvoir for fifty one years as they never got married, you know, traded all of their philosophical writings. We, of course, talked about Simone de Beauvoir in our, in our first episode on what women really want. Uh -huh. We read what she said, and guess what? And she, that's the conclusion she came to after 800 pages, is women want to be individuals. And Mr. Sartre online is telling me, you don't know what women want. And I'm like, well, you don't know what Sartre. Simone de Beauvoir actually said, because that's exactly what she said. And that, you know, he, he seems to have missed the part where... Sartre kept taking Simone de Beauvoir's young female lovers away from her. Wait. <laughs> and I'm I'm sitting there in this in this rather, you know, unpleasant Twitter exchange thinking, 
uh, who, how do people making the very arguments that De Beauvoir made about women all want to be individuals and not mm-hmm. have any ties or, you know, relationships, except for she had this very permanent relationship with Sartre, which was never formalized permanently, but was in fact the, the one that I, you know, it's like, how do we end up in the the story the world's longest situationship <laughs> these sorry. the storytelling where people have no clue that they're caught in these stories i mean at one point this this young man on mm-hmm. the twitter was saying what does something written in 1940s have to do with 2023 and i'm like well <laughs> we're still in that one um and and the one you got caught up in 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 the i think it was in the diner it could have been in in my chat where this this guy's telling you how um, evolution is real. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was hammering Darwinism. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole region just, in Australia called Darwin, right? There's a town. It's 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 an it's a territory. Yeah, uh, yeah. sorry, the capital city of a territory. Right. Uh, Northern Northern Territory. Why? Why would that a, be? Why would all of ha- you know a whole territory in Australia be called Darwin? Talking about mythologizing. <laughs> it, it amazes me. I mean, yeah, talk about mythologizing. I mean, we've got a we've got a region called the Kimberley. There's a region in South Africa called the Kimberley. We've mm. got Dal you know, we've got Darwin up there, but we've got a bunch of place names that are shared with that other mining country. Interesting. But it's like the reason why I was hammering Darwinism is I was trying to say to everybody, you're complaining about the mod- modern world. This is literally mo- this is modernity is like Thank you, Charles Darwin. You've created the civilization for mm-hmm. us. And everyone's, you know, well, not very happy with me saying this because they want to hang on to their little theory of natural selection as the origin of species. Um, and the favorable races, of course, that other part of his uh, theory <laughs> is... Uh, <laughs> is the implications of what this means for the human... For the human uh, for the human race you know we're talking about the favorable races well this is like again you import your colonial project what kind of civilization do you want to be colonized by why are people angry with this particular civilization that's collapsing the british colonial system why are they angry with it why do they hate this this uh this imposition so much because i don't think anyone would have been complaining had the uh had the Italians taken over. And it's well, to be fair, Ethiopia thing. fought pretty hard to keep them out. I <laughs> oh, yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in the Wayback Machine. Well, but, I don't uh, know. I mean, no, the, the, the problem is imperi- imp- the Romans, right? Um, which is mm-hmm. why Mussolini tried to take over Ethiopia. Shall we, you know, like the, 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 the persistent yeah. story we will remind everybody is nobody gets to be the good guys in this story. No, no, no. We're all falling. No, but it, <laughs> it was this, it was this, this thing that I was trying to explain. Mm. You've introduced these categories that are uh, smacking up against a traditional culture right. that is being given this way of thinking. I was, uh, you know, uh, and I've tried to explain this to people before, like, New Zealanders and Australians have a really complicated thing to figure out right now because we we all had to play along with Darwinism, right. the culture, right. for a long time, and uh, we trashed our tribal connections. And so everyone's working that out as we speak. But, uh, like, natural selection was applied to the human experience, and it's very difficult for everyone to to grapple with that because 
they say, oh, no, 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 we need Darwinism for the evolutionary theory for the science, but we're going to ignore it and we're going to ignore it, uh, all of the profound implications it can have on human society mm. when people think that it really is uh, a race for the most fit, you know, and then the unfit are disqualified from the genetic pool. It's like, I don't know how people are so in denial of the the natural consequence of accepting this philosophy is that you're going to create a uh, natural selection uh, culture. It's that's just what what has happened. So well, for the West, it's the culture of abortion, mm -hmm. which was yes. was was straight up. But I mean, what the other thing I was thinking of though is there's <clears> a C.S. Lewis did a a nice little meditation in the 1940s on how evolution is itself a myth right and this this doesn't this doesn't have to go with the mathematical modeling that vox has talked about which i'm persuaded he's right right i never thought about in those terms like, oh right the math doesn't work you can't you, mm -hmm. you, you can't fix species in the time frame that these mutations are supposedly taking place and you've never seen one actually fix in a new species even in fruit flies so guess what you know, it, it, it yeah. doesn't work mathematically or demonstrably. But um, Lewis was talking about it as it, 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 it fits with I mean, the sort of, you know, um, it's a creation myth, but that doesn't have a creator and things just happen. Mm -hmm. And and that this this fit in and he was able to critique it in the 40s and saying this fits with this model of who we think we are as a society that it's going to be you know progressive yeah. and, and everything's going to be continually getting better and you know it's it's a sort of capitalist model of production um that you're you're saying is so the competition between the different companies is going to always eventuate in a stronger company and that all of that was it's 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 just as much mythological in um in its truth character as any other creation myth it's it's not a scientific oh wait, it's scientific but science itself is a myth in those terms mm -hmm. i mean yes i i, well, I agree it... with that too i mean science is for the most part philosophizing about what we can observe and um the degree to which you can make technological solutions of things yes those work whether those are magic or not we probably have to maybe these are these are good projections on where we're going to have to talk about this things for, <laughs> things for the next year science and technology and magic and you know continuing on those themes but that it's the evolution as it functions both scientifically and historically is a myth yes it's like a capital it's, it's m myth the... <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's the it's the origin myth of uh of modernity, really. Right. I mean, it's the origin myth of of um of the British the British system Precisely. that we've lived under here. And so like in terms of the story itself, the origin myth of this civilization, it's <laughs> it's based on power. Competition, power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Power. It is yeah um and of course power is real it's a part of human experience but as a myth for a culture i mean i i think i think what i'd like to do for with that thought is 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 read the c.s lewis piece and talk about it 
Maybe maybe okay. we do that next. <laughs> let's let's All right, let's we'll do that let's, next. Let's, let's let's read a different story now. Right. So FR yeah. FR says I have a scientific book from the 1920s. Aus professor Australian professor ranking the races from high to low. Yeah. No, yeah. that, that I mean that's standard yeah. stuff. We have um in the Field Museum in Chicago there's a series of sculptures that create difficult problems for the curators and conservators constantly because nobody wants them right now, but they were done to show races, the races of mankind um, back in the, in the twenties and thirties. I mean, that this sort of ranking of races was a big deal in, in the period. So, yeah, but that, that's not what we wanted. Let, let's, let's have, let's have, let's, let's shift, shift to, to a, a, a solution. <laughs> these, these are the pro. Okay. So the, actually this is, this is good because like last year we started with the grammar of the internet and how are we going to talk about poetry and structure and everything? And I would say, yes, we're, we're ta we're still talking about stories and we're talking about how do we now craft our way imaginatively into a better um, well, I'd say, I'd say it's a appreciation experience. We have, I have another book, DCR um, books are publishing, the publishing part of our enterprise uh, is bringing out another book in, um, in a week or so. Um, it's in press right now in proofs uh, on writing Christian poetry that I, um, I did an introduction for, and I think we maybe want to talk about that too, when it's, when it's available, but the volume is, yeah poems that seven of my students at the University of Chicago wrote in a class that I taught a, a year and a half ago on writing Christian poetry. And as I was writing the introduction, I finally sort of had been, you know, took a while to edit the poems and get them ready and such like that. And I was like, get, get the introduction. I was like, what was I doing in that class? What are we doing in uh, the Dragon Common Room? What are we doing in writing our poetry? And it's saying, you know, this is Christianity needs poetry. It's, it's not just ornament or pretty stuff or you know, recherche art form and something like that. It's like the the heartbeat of our faith is in in poetry, and mm -hmm. getting to the point where we're saying it, it. You know, we can complain a lot. You know, we can say that these historical trends are happening. People are misunderstanding the way in which they're caught up in previous mythologizings and and like when we were describing with the boars and the english and so being you know sympathetic for the whites that are down there in south africa now which yes people, it's fine to be sympathetic but recognize you know we were on the bad guy side in some of this at some points and we need to understand ourselves our, our our place in these stories and we need to understand the power that the stories that we tell can have for giving shape to our souls Yes. So we're writing really good stories in the Dragon Common mm -hmm. Room that will take <laughs> on this challenge directly. And um, the one, the one that we wanted to share with you tonight is uh, the the bear story that we wrote um, for children. Um, we have, for those of you following us in our newsletter. Um, we are going to start hopefully making some kind of lesson plans and activities and brainstorming ways in which you can use this story in your own story time with your children in classes in classical Christian education. We, we have, we have high hopes <laughs> for our art, right? It's mm. like we, the, the, the aim, you know, the long-term aim is let's see, hmm, get this to Mel Gibson and make an animated movie. We'll just say that out in the internet and say, yeah. yes, we want, we want this 
It's animated as a full-scale theater release. Is that big enough of a dream? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, good. Let's dream with the bears, right? Okay. So the, 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 some some we have we've had you know a number. It would be appropriate. It would be appropriate for a story about searching for the light to eventually be generated in light. You know. Yes. Yes. I mean, so we have we have things on the. Excuse me. Sorry, I got too excited there. Um, we have things on the website in our merch, which I was, I, when I made, you know, I put them together, took at the art and added them to objects that you can get through Zazzle. And, and we've, we've talked about these before. We're always trying to match our, our art to its appropriate medium. Right. And, and, and therefore mm. having, having, you know, the puzzle, the puzzle that the, the characters solved by the end of our story and this one made into a puzzle which is a lovely 150,000 sorry 150,054 piece color poster <laughs> size puzzle we're gonna we're, we're, we're working on making some smaller piece number piece count ones for kids recognizing that yeah more yeah simple. not everybody has more the capacity to do a thousand and fifty four piece puzzle that's actually moderately challenging <laughs> my brother enjoyed doing it with me mm -hmm. <laughs> he he can do puzzles you know with no no pictures on them and stuff like that so you know your mileage may vary um that it would be delightful to have this story about the light cast in the light that we are trying to transform by participating in it right it's like it, it, as M McLuhan yeah. taught us and that we've been talking about all year you know, railing against the technology isn't going to transform it. Christ became incarnate into our world with our language, with the word, with our technology of, of communication. We have to transform our experience of these, of being incarnate by way of participating in the story, not by, I mean, we run away from it, but that's, that's a different moment. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I'm foiled by the technology of my eye makeup. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, the... <laughs> it's Enochian tech. It gets you. Um, so, yeah, we. I mean, we have we we're using uh, we're using this tech now in the same way that the Christian Church decided to use the ex existing technology of the time of the apostles. We were meditating about the the metallurgy um, a couple of days ago, and, and I, I think this is probably a good place to start with our stories that we wanted to show Christ in the world um, on the the revelation of His light in in the story of these little bears going to search for it, um, and how the uh the artifact of of the creatures of the characters in the story also reveals uh also reveals him mm -hmm. you know i i think that was probably a good way to start uh we we specifically put our bears into a boat for a reason mm -hmm. you know we wanted them fishing in the beginning of the story so they they're 
they're sitting there in the in the fjord and they're fishing with their lines and they have their net and they have the boat so we're you know integrating all of these uh I mean, they're human technologies, but they also become a part of the gospel when Christ enters into to the human story and himself is on a boat and he's spending time with fishermen and, you know, these kinds of things. So so maybe, so I think perhaps we, I, so there is a, a video of me reading Act 1 to the kids at St. John Cantius in Chicago, and we are convinced that this mm -hmm. demonstrates that this story is very kid-friendly because by the end of it, they were swarming my chair, right? <laughs> so there, there's that. Yes. But there's also, and, and when I read it to them, I did unpack some of the things, but I was trying to actually just read it to them and sort of get some responses that I think maybe what we should do, I, I was thinking we could make this a regular part of, a regular sort of, element of our sequence that the poem is a hundred stanzas we could read a little bit each week or we could come back to it or something like that but anyway it took us i think six or seven months to write this one um it, mm -hmm. it's where draco chemicus is is much slower going because we're crafting at a higher level of precision than we knew we could when we wrote Roy Alice. but also mm -hmm. this is for kids and so it's um, has a it's a lighter it's a somewhat lighter than uh, Draco Chemicus. but the, if we if we read a little bit if I read a little bit and then we just talk about what's in the stanzas um, to show people what it's like to try to say we're crafting Christ into these stories and we're really crafting them at a level that your children should be able to enjoy them but that the more you read them the more they reveal to you Yes. Okay. Well, so we have on screen the opening two stanzas, and um, I'll 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 start I'll start there. Oh, it, the the book actually does have a um an epigraph, which is is helpful to use if you're if you're worried. <laughs> this is definitely a Christian story, and we say so in in the the epigraph. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians four, six. And that that is actually the point of the story, right? It's, it's the, the, the light mm -hmm. shining out of darkness to shine in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in our recognition of Christ in, our, in the face of Jesus Christ. And that in the scriptures, it's like when Moses goes up on the mountain and is face to face with God, his face shines, this shining of the, the face that shines. I mean, obviously when, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, which is this Sunday <laughs> in the feast of the transfiguration, mm -hmm. um, he, he shines with that heavenly light. He, you see the, the, um, the uh, apostles that are with him, Peter, James, and John see him transfigured and transformed, but seeing the face of Christ, seeing the face of our Lord is our longing and our desire. So in, in that sense, this Aurora Alice is intended as a mystical meditation, right? That we were longing for that light in the face of Jesus Christ. For bears. <laughs> for little mm -hmm. bears. Okay. So we have act one, the net. And I'll, so I'll read, say, I'll read the stanza and then we'll talk about it. And then we'll read another one and we'll talk about it and just see how far we get. Okay. Okay. Right. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. 
So in the, in the picture here, you see a bird coming down from the sky and a polar bear on the his ice flow looking up, um, saying that we, we actually, when we started writing this uh, story, we were... One I've all I could see. See, you never get out. The story. The story has a layers before you even get get started. Um, that I have obviously been fencing bear at prayer for a very long time now, fifteen years in the blog world. Uh, that my I have my little doll um, white bear in her fencing costume that I got in two thousand five at a fencing tournament um, in Sacramento. I remember this adoption well because I had a very bad tournament. <laughs> And when I bought the the doll, the the stuffed toy, I was saying, I'm going to be a fencer. I'd only been fencing for two years. And I was like, I'm going to be a fencer. I put my name on the back. I like, we have our names on our fencing lemmes because that identifies us as competitors when we're in our masks. And so I put the name on on the toy and she's a white polar bear. And I have been that fencing bear at prayer in bear, bear form since 2008 when I started my blog to try to talk about the spiritual training that I was going through as a fencer. So therefore I was delighted to find that among the unauthorized community, there are bears too. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah. we started writing Aurora Borealis back in, well, we fin- we finished, fi- we finished centrism games, our very first poem in autumn um, 2020 because we wrote that one that mm-hmm. one um, in, in in 2020 and we were a little it's like we said well that was a pretty heavy story because it's about abortion <laughs> and fame and you know the corruption of the world and it's, it's a satire we said we'd like to write something lighter <laughs> and more joyful and the bears um, in Bertaria were talking about starting up their um magazine right i think they're on episode is it four now they've they've published four volumes of the the bear yeah i think it's right four. and oh, um cool. initially initially i think we were just going to write some short poems and then it you know got carried away and wrote a whole book verse and we said okay we'll publish it as a separate book but but we were thinking of the kinds of things that the bertaria um community was 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 dreaming of right at, at that point saying we'd like wholesome stories for children Right. Yes. And so so some of the reason it's bears is because we were thinking in those terms. I'm obviously bear obsessed already. I mean, I'm surrounded by teddy bears and, and you know, fancy bears and things like that. So but but it was also because the, the 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 polar animals right from the north and the south pole gave us a very nice. Um, oh, symbolic... yeah, we, we're bear free. <laughs> we have no bears here. Antarctica means no bear. <laughs> so it was this it was this really cool thing of like you've got the Arctic, the place where the bears are, and then the Antarctic, the place where no bears are. Yeah, it worked really well. <laughs> and then and then the penguins a... are in the Antarctic, whom our bears meet, mm-hmm. right? There are no penguins yeah. in the north. We did actually we did actually um yes. uh, uh research these animals to make sure that we were giving them the right habitat range <laughs> yeah if, if we have them bumping it's all very scientific. it's all completely scientific <laughs> if, if, if we have them bump into for example seals are they would which way would they have to go to actually run into seals <laughs> we mapped it all out <laughs> yeah the yeah. route has to be in yeah. the pacific because in the atlantic they wouldn't run into seals apparently they would get to the seals on the northern part of 
So they start in they start in the Arctic and go down the Pacific, and that gave them the reason to meet the panda. See, we plotted it all out for real yeah. in natural. You know, the natural history is accurate completely, <laughs> in, including the albatross showing up and talking to them. Okay, is that enough prologue? <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) Well, but this, this was, it's like, I, and I think this was also, uh, um, you know, a lesson in, I say, how, how do you write good stories? Well, you ground them in some, in, you know, in reality and, and the world teaches you things that you have to know about the structure of the story that you're going to be able to tell, which, which was something we learned. Definitely. It's like we, 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 your art is always imitating mimesis, right? It's imitating the world that we live in. And so what kinds of things were we yes. imitating off of and what kinds of things were we trying to uh, discern mysteries from? I'm trying to remember all of that. We've talked about, we talked, we, we started, we talked about the problem and the plot and the characters for months before we actually started writing the poem. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm thinking now that you're describing it, what we've essentially done is anti-Darwinism. Mm-hmm. To, to put it to the theme of the the stream today but the um you know darwin goes out on his quest on the boat and he's traveling around the world to make his categories of things and he goes to the galapagos of course and then he's you know impressed by the finches and starts to think about natural selection as the origin of species but our bears are not on a quest for mechanical categorization of the planet they want the adventure of the and to seek the joy in exploring the world and to find the light and I think that was probably the most beautiful part of it is that we did do a lot of naturalistic study. We wanted to make sure that we had the right species of penguins in here and, you know, the right kind of seals. Like uh, everything is placed properly in terms of the natural environment, only it's been mythologized. It's been mythologized in a Christian context that you see the story in the natural world that somebody like Darwin couldn't read or wouldn't be able to read and that the mentality of darwinism uh hides from from people you know it's it's like a a myth literacy that we wanted to show and share with everybody yes and that 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 our what scientific accuracy on the creatures um that so we've i was about to say we've had we've had various reviews um there's a review that's linked on the website where i'm it's it's more an interview that i did with a a fellow poet cm mayo she does interviews with authors and she she also writes her own poetry um but there's there's one like extensive negative review on in on geeks under grace out there and it it complains about a lot of things we return to the things that the author and geek center grace complained about but the opening complaint was big words right um and and it's like oh there seems like i had to i'm i've I've got a master's she said the equivalent of a master's in english literature and i'm like what's the equivalent of a master's in english literature what you did in medieval studies maybe um and you know saying i i had to keep going to the dictionary for looking up words and it slowed me down we're like are you kidding how fast do you want to read? Go look up the words. And my favorite, my favorite of the words that's in the book is alluropods, right? Which is <clears throat> seals, mm-hmm. right? And we set it up. So in the stanza, which we won't get to today, because that's an act two, um, 
one of the bears asks the panda, how'd you get mixed up with those alluropods? And the other bear says, yeah, what were you doing with those seals? Right. So, and, and when I read the book, I read the story, I've read it to a number of children, like one, the group at, at St. John Cantius, but I also read it to some friends um, and they gave us blurbs on the website too. They were um, brothers eight and 11 at the time when they wrote the blurbs for us. Mm-hmm. They loved it. Right. It's like kids love naming things. I, and, and you could say, yes. you know, Darwin, unfortunately, he, he's tapping into the desire for taxonomy of like just naming, right? Structured names. Like the people delight yeah. in, Adam did that, right? Adam does that. The, God brings him all the yes. animals and he names the animals. So our joy in noticing all the creatures and naming all of them, um, you know, I suspect, I always, you know, wonder, it's like Darwin must have been tapping into something that people did like, not just politics and power, but a sort of desire for there to be order in the world, order in creation, order in the structure of things. Yes. And he found all those finches and turtles and, and things like that. And, and yeah, well, it, we need order. We're doing that in poetry when we're creating ordered mm-hmm. language. Yeah. So that makes sense. We can continue to tease them for another hour but and not read. I'll read now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mom, start the story. Never. <laughs> the light was named in time before the spark and yet it had no glass through which to shine. It seemed with joy to laugh into the dark, where air is thin and sky is crystalline. Bear Ulfilas peered at it from his bark, the world above refracting Celestine, like smoke that trailed into the dark abyss to breach the ceiling of the world he wished. Wow, we packed it a lot there. One, we should tell yeah. <laughs> we should tell you you will notice that there are eight lines in each stanza. And that the rhyme is spark dark shine crystalline. Wait, spark dark bark, shine crystalline celestine, and abyssum wished. So it's A B A B A B C C. Do you, do you remember writing in the stanza form? <laughs> I, I was just thinking, oh, wow, that, was, that used to happen. <laughs> We've been writing in a different stanza form in Drake Alchemicus now for a while. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened to ABA, VBC, VCC? Yeah. Ah, yeah. So, wait, what's that one? Otovarima. Eight rhyme. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we chose it. Do you remember why we chose it? I don't want to be Okay, tested. that's fine. So we, we chose it. No, we chose it because we'd written, we'd written um, centrism games in heroic couplets, which are simply iambic. All of this is iambic pentameter, right? We do nothing yeah. but I, with the, yes. the, the Dragon Comma Room to this day does nothing but iambic. Oh, no, we've actually done practice dances and other things. But the, 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 big, the longer poems we've yes. written, they're in iambic pentameter, which is a good thing for storytelling. Um, in centrism games, they're heroic couplets, which means they're paired couplets. They rhyme um, in pairs, which is what 
Alexander Pope used in his Dunciad and um, is yeah. it's just pairs of rhymes, right? And a little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deeper, taste not the Pyrian spring. The most famous couplet that Alexander Pope wrote, right? So they're, they're pairs like that. Um, for for Aurora Borealis, we said, well, you know, we'll practice a different stanza for him. And we picked this one because it was used for the epics Orlando Furioso in Italian and um, Don Juan by Byron in English. And they're sort of adventure-y. It's a, it's a good, it's a good stanza form for adventure tell, tales. Swashbuckling. Yeah, it's what, so we got swashbuckling yeah. bears. <laughs> and they buckle yes. swashes. They, they definitely do. Yes, they're swashbuckling bears. Okay, so that's the stanza form. Should I read the stanza again? Because I, it's like I'm, I'm reading it. And I'm in, I'm so like writing these stanzas becomes so. Um, it, it's like the the sound in your mouth has this flavor, and shape, mm -hmm. and texture. It's so sensory to be able to get the rhymes and the and the meter to work together, and then embedded in all of that um the uh the 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 symbolism and story that we're pointing to it's like magic it is it is the light was named in time before the spark when yet it had no glass through which to shine it seemed with joy to laugh into the dark where air is thin and sky is crystalline there Ulfilas peered at it from his bark, the world above refracting Celestine, like smoke that trailed into the dark abyss to breach the ceiling of the world he wished. The very powerful word pictures that only poetry could make that happen. Hmm. Each line, it's like picture. The next line, picture. It's just a, it's a very powerful way of activating the imagination. There's no other form that can do it in the same way. Yeah. Well, I'm recognizing piece. So people, um, until until the 19th century, when the novel became the great fictional form, longer stories were written in verse. And mm. things like I said, Don, Don Juan, it's like, I, we really need to read Don Juan because of course that was what inspired the character in, uh, the Johnny Depp movie. Um, was it Don Juan de Bosco? What is, what's whatever he's, he, he decides to become the world's yes. greatest lover because he read the poem. Right. And when, when Byron published that, it was like the sensation, right? Everybody wanted to, to read it. And I think, I think what people did, you know, now we do private silent reading, you you, re you read your novel and you keep the cover covered so that nobody realizes you're reading Fifty Shades of Grey or something. <laughs> 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 the novel novels have taken on this this very private reading. Although I guess now it's like my family, you know, the the it's like my husband and do long driving trips. We put a audiobook on, right? So you're sharing the story mm -hmm. together in in the audiobook. That poetry really requires this you need to read it out loud to get that full enjoyment of it. And yeah. I think it has to be read out loud to get 
a, a lot of the activation of the imagery because otherwise you're not gonna you're not gonna hear it it well it's not gonna work it, it what i said yeah. what i said in my introduction in writing christian poetry is it's like it's movies it, <laughs> yes early christian literature is basically all iambic pentameter well it's hexameters is it a hexameters or iambic pentameter it's in latin um it's latin retellings of the gospels and you know the gospels are stories the earliest christian literature is retellings of the scriptures in poetry the great teaching text of you know if, if you all in homeschooling context want um to do the liberal arts you probably at some point come across the mention of Martianus Capella. Martianus Capella is pro, a prosometrum. It's both poetry and prose. And it's it was the text that was used as the basis for training in the liberal arts and grammar, rhetoric, logic, music, astronomy, wait, arithmetic, geometry, music, astronomy for that throughout the early middle ages and interestingly they wrote them in poetry because it's figuring that the poetry could carry this unlocking of meaning better than prose could and that's contrary mm -hmm. to what most people think now it's like a scientific text written in rhyme why would you do that uh there's grammars from the high middle ages that are written in rhyme because again it was considered that if you really want to understand something verse is the way that it's going to stick in your understanding mm -hmm. Yeah, hearing hearing it, the sound, it just it's a very powerful activation of the the imagination. But the 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 mind works better in verse. Like as you're reading, I just kind of I can I can feel the the gear change. It's it's lovely. I'm gonna read it another time. <laughs> We got got it. What's funny is we are in a very oral culture now because of live streams. I mean, how many people mm -hmm. complain that they don't read anymore, right? It's like, oh, is it you got you got it in an audio book? I'm like, uh -huh. um, <laughs> and I do enjoy audio books. We do we do need so maybe before before we get Mel Gibson to make this into a full length animated movie, we'll get the audio version. <laughs> mm -hmm. I should. We do have friends that have offered. Maybe we should we should figure out how to release that properly um that it it's activating at the same in the same way that the musical score with the story does in a movie and the example i gave was star wars yes. of course we're all we're thinking about all these star imagery and, and associations and harmonies that we're playing with in all of our stories we always end up with light and stars and celestial and and, and terrestrial combinations that that the the thing that you experience in a movie with all of your senses being activated is there in listening to in in listening to poetry certainly poetry that we're putting mm -hmm. pictures with <laughs> i'm gonna read it another Excuse time me. and then we're and then we're gonna tell them what the stanza means or some of it right okay, okay. yeah that sounds the good. light was named in time before the spark when yet it had no glass through which to shine it seemed with joy to laugh into the dark where air is thin and sky is crystalline. Bear Ulfilas peered at it from his bark, the world above refracting Celestine, like smoke that trailed into the dark abyss to breach the ceiling of the world he wished.
I just went on a little holiday. <laughs> um, should we talk about what it actually mm -hmm. means? Okay. Uh, the first line, the light was named in time before the spark. That is a description of God the Logos, God the Light. Um, that the Logos, who was with God and who is God, was named in time before the spark, meaning uh, before the before God had said, "Let there be light." In in a created time of of you know the first week of creation, before "Let there be light," Logos was laughing. Logos was there. So the light was named in time before the spark, meaning God had already named uh, his son, his his Logos. That, yeah. So one line has an enormous amount. That's pretty in, cool. In it. <laughs> it is cool. It's, basic, it's basically both John 1, 1 and Genesis. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created. Yeah. So the light in the was beginning. named in time before the spark. When yet it had no glass through which to shine. <laughs> no glass. Uh, so many things. So, of course, we, we were thinking about the firmament of the world. You know, the scriptures there. In the, in the beginning in Genesis, it said that God creates the firmament, divides the water from the waters, and we're thinking of this celestial glass that's sort of the, the medium for the shining of the lights of the stars and the shining of the lights of the heavens. And so, yeah, we, we pull in all of that Genesis uh, imagery. But... I mean, glass again. It's it's glass didn't exist then. Glass is a is a is an artificial thing. It's man-made, so it's sort of like. Well, it's, I've it's forgotten a, that it's a the, bit of a confusing thing. Well, I so I the other I have I was thinking. So what's funny is I don't remember. I didn't remember us thinking about it as the firmament. Although that would make sense because. In the in the medieval cosmology or the Ptolemaic medieval cosmology, right? The ancient where everybody says the medievals, you know, like, they didn't know stuff. It's like, yeah, because they're using the science from the Greeks. So if you're <laughs> you're gonna get upset with them, <laughs> you blame the blame the Greeks. Blame the Greeks. <laughs> um, that they're imagining the the celestial spheres as crystalline, right? And and mm -hmm. and and that that you know that there's no firmament yes that is a, a, a the division between the waters above and the waters below and, and things like that i was thinking it was it wasn't it was before the incarnation because one of the ways mm. that mary is understood in the medieval imagery is as a crystal that the light shines through to come into the world mm -hmm. and so this is you know we're starting with the the incarnation the the you know the, the reality of the logos before creation but, but also before the incarnation and that what the, yes. the, the animals are going to find in the story is, you know, what it's like to see the incarnate 
light. We we were told in the the, the so it was the, the friend who had got the review for Geek Center Grace thought that it would actually they would actually like it because this is a Christian story and unfortunately the person they gave it to hasn't read Dante, <laughs> um, and oh. <laughs> or something right had you know clearly has not read the medieval um, descriptions of what the incarnation means and. And certainly not the um, medieval poems that are describing Mary as the the crystal that is, you know, the light shines through without breaking it. So it's a metaphor for her mm-hmm. perpetual virginity. But this it has no glass through which to shine. So it's it's this is the lights there before time and before the incarnation. Mm-hmm. It seemed with joy to laugh into the dark, where air is thin and sky is crystalline. I think you were saying with the joy there and the, the, the big, you know, we're, 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 we're bringing you down into the play of where Ulfilas is. He's in the Northern, he's in the Northern hemisphere and he's looking at the, the Aurora. Right. And, and mm-hmm. that we, we also, we did a lot of research in our settings as well and looking at the real Aurora and the way it plays in the, the sky at night. Apparently it also makes noise, which, we, yes. we've we've learned since that fit with things that we put in the story but that it's um you know that the aurora is is very the the, the joy of the light as it's playing against mm. the the night sky well it's the the visual and the the sonic of the electromagnetic you know mm-hmm. l- light laughing sounds really strange but they did this experiment in water a while ago they show that you can actually make light from um putting sound through a bubble underwater yeah. and it goes bah! this is this massive explosion so we're we're thinking you know this kind of electromagnetic thing you see it you also hear it that kind of mixture of experience uh, right yeah, and, and that we're doing laughing into the dark it was like yeah. That the the story is is from one pole to the other, right? So it's like the whole magnetic mm-hmm. reality of of the planet. Yeah. Although as 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 one of one of our friends has said, it's a flat Earth kid for stories. Well, it's flat Earth story for kids because we have a map at the end where you're going to see like where the the route was, and it's it's projected as it were onto a flat Earth map. But somewhat of the joke was that was it's also projected onto a medieval map of Mundi. Um, and the poles, mm. the poles are different from the north and the south pole, right? It's from the center to the periphery, so it's from the the north pole to this this the the perimeter of what it looks like if you project Antarctica around the from the the outside, right? Which to me then looked like a medieval map of Mundi with Jerusalem at the center and paradise on the edge. Right? So it's like which which mm. which um map projection are you imagining this journey on well some of it is this polar it's a polar story from the polar bear from one pole to the other but it's also this this journey from the center to the to the edge mm-hmm. yeah we want we wanted to take them over the edge <laughs> the great adventure it's great okay bear ulfilas who's that Who's our Ulfilas? Ulfilas. You know how hard it was to scan these lines with Ulfilas as your main character? What were we thinking? 
Be, this is the lesson, <laughs> lesson for writing poetry. When you pick your names, be sure that you're going to have to fit them in the meter. Oh my gosh. That was horrible. <laughs> I think the panda was harder. The panda name is so we never figured out quite how to scan that one. How many syllables it had. <laughs> okay, well, why Ulfilas? Who's Ulfilas? I'm not quizzing you. I'm just, um, if you do remember, you tell. And if you don't, that's. Oh, no, no, I remember. No, I remember because I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so I don't like, remember everything. Bunch... I was like, it, we took us months to write all of this. So yeah. you know, it's like there's, there's layers of hopefully stuff we've forgotten. And also then we'll recover and discover. And if we did it right, the art will show us new things in the world that we hadn't previously anticipated. But anyway, this one we kind of worked on. <laughs> Yeah, this we definitely did, but the, 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 I mean, the meditation at the time was on light incarnating, you know, what, what it actually means for the light of the, for, for Christ to be the light of the world. Well, it's the light that's incarnate. So it's that, it's that, uh, named in time before the spark light that becomes incarnate in, in the world. So we're thinking about this. So I was like, Hmm. Okay, I'm meditating on the Goths, always meditating on the Goths, the the Goths who didn't believe in the incarnation of the light. They believe in a different kind of Christian understanding. And then I'm, I'm going around the map, looking at the, the map of Antarctica, you know, all the different territories mm. that different countries have claimed, and Australia has got its Australian Antarctic territories or whatever. And you see some islets. That's cute. Let's have a look here. Uh, I see an island. It's Old Phyllis Island. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I've got to Google this. Let me have a look. Let me let me have a look up. Old Phyllis. He was a Gothic king. Uh, no, he was a translator. He's a translator. Right? He was a translator. I'd forgotten that That's about right. the island. <laughs> yes. So there's a there's a in the old days. Uh, a gothic translator who's the first person first christian to translate the scriptures into gothic right. and his name was ulfilas and there's an island down in antarctica called ulfilas island so i was like that's it that's that's perfect we've got a goth bear now <laughs> but but and this this is actually this matters for his character yes he doesn't he he, he doesn't have the same understanding of christ as some others because he's actually no he's, he's actually Aryan <laughs> yes yes <clears throat> which means it means that he doesn't believe that the light can incarnate right yeah he doesn't believe the light is God well he doesn't believe the incarnation is God he doesn't believe the, the yes. and, and therefore this, this is, so he's, he's sitting there wanting to touch it, right? Peered at it from his bark, fancy word for boat, or, but he's, he's on an ice flow right now. So he's, he's just looking up at the, mm -hmm. the, the sky. Um, and the, and the, the world above refracting Celestine is the play of the Aurora. Um, and it, it does look sort of smoky, right? Trailing to the abyss and he wants to grab it. So he's yeah. he's there as this goth bear, and to understand that the Goths are Aryan, which means they're the 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 early tribes, the barbarian tribes who in in fact end up 
toppling Rome. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but but like the Visigoths, they when when they when they enter into the empire, the empire is Trinitarian Orthodox, and the Goths aren't. They're, they think of themselves as Christian, so they sort of, when they sack Rome, they don't sack the churches. But they don't believe that the Son is of the same divinity as the Father. That they see him as, um, I don't know, kind of a creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they followed the they followed the teachings of Arius, who had. Uh, wrestled with the question of who Christ really is and what relationship Christ has to God, which was always a really contentious issue in Egypt. (laughs) Uh, Because the Egyptians were the ones that were working on all of the the meditations uh, about these kinds of issues because, of course, the the monks and the monastics and the, the... the, the whole concept of being a monk comes from Egypt. So, if, you know, the Egyptians are very, very concerned with the meditation, uh, meditative Christianity, and thinking about things like, you know, wandering, uh, wandering in the desert and uh, meditating on Christ. So this, this Aryan concept comes out of this idea from this, this person who, who decided that Christ couldn't be God, possibly because... Christ was subject to crucifixion, mm-hmm. so he thinks, how can God be killed? How can God die? And therefore, it sort of goes goes forward from there. So, uh, the the thinking that that kind of Christianity, if you would call it Christianity, that thinking, it's spread from Egypt and it finds its uh, it finds its way into different places, but it found a home amongst the Goths. Right. Uh, and so Gothic Christianity is essentially uh, the thought process of an Egyptian man who decided that Jesus could not be God himself. Which also, also, yeah. also becomes the source for Islam. Mm-hmm. Yes. They, the same, same thought process, right. same, uh, same, same root and, and, for the both ideologies and, and particularly the problem that you can't imagine that the divine would incarnate and sully itself with the the, the you know i mean in that i always like the tolkien you know tolkien's description of it. it's like the entry into the story but in the in the medieval understanding of the you know shining through mary in the light you have to then also understand i mean we think of light as energy i suppose Partic- particles and waves mm-hmm. i don't know hans ethers are he's figuring this all out <laughs> um that it light is a physical thing it's a it's it you know exists as a creature and um you know it works metaphorically f- for things like understanding but also for this sense of what is it like for the divinity to enter into the material and that image mm-hmm. of the light shining through the crystal and the you know Christ becoming incarnate fleshly in Mary somehow we were having to grapple with this mystery what is it to say God became incarnate and so one mm-hmm. of the things we're playing with in the poem is saying what 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 metaphor would help you 
understand that as a reality. And we're going to take the bears on a journey mm. to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what layers of reality is old Velas going to have to encounter to get to the point where he can at least consider it as a possibility? Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it was a, it was a cool, it was a cool point because uh, we're in in the story. Ulfilis is going to consider it, but doing it in a way which I did, it wasn't like a, you know, coming to understanding of incarnation through debates with people that are incarnate, you know, the, the incarnate camp versus the, the Aryan disincarnate uh, Gothic Christians, you know, it's like uh, this, this story was about uh, Christianity through uh, what we would call a, lit a, a liturgy, I think. It's like the, the bears are going on a great liturgy across the world, right. almost, yeah, yeah. Yes, and that they, they have to go through the liturgy to get to the point where they understand the incarnation. They don't get, they don't mm -hmm. get it any other way, that it's a, it's a liturgical mystery that they're going to participate in. Yeah. And so that they, we are having the, the singing, the joy and the laughing happening at the opening of the light that is playing in the, in the heavens, um, that they are going to get to participate in that and that that's going to be their, their joy. Mm. Okay. Let's do another stanza. We have, we have 15 more minutes okay. and I'm also, I'm also <laughs> recognizing those, those of you who were able to, that an authorized has been having some difficulties tonight. And I think Vox had some difficulty his meme stream seemed to have gotten interrupted. Luckily, we're recording this as well. <laughs> um, so hopefully, I'm hoping everyone's still in. Yeah, there's some people watching in Telegram, but anyway, the stalwart. Fingers the stalwart crossed. Yeah. No, I'm still recording, so that's all right. Okay. Okay. He'd open heaven's curtain with his fist. He's talking about old philosophy. He's like, he's going to rend heaven, right? He's going to figure out all of these mysteries. Got, got proper the God. proper God. <laughs> with his wide paw, he dragged the air to rend like foggy breath within his palm, a mist. Aurora's fume-like webs caught in his hands. No bear can cup the northern lights, he lisped. An albatross unto the ice descends. It's Abner, whose white wings had sailed the winds to seek the world beyond the polar blinds. So we actually got started in stanza one and <laughs> the story moves along a little, a little more now. Okay. So he's, he's still, he's still there playing with the, the, the light playing with the Aurora and, and having that sense that mm -hmm. he can capture it in his hand, right? He's going to get his paw. He's going to grab onto the reality of the light and um, capture it. And, and this, this sort of, I don't know whether you can't, it's light, you can't touch it, right? But the, it has this quality mm -hmm. when you see it. I, I, I've, I had friends who described having seen the Aurora. I've not seen it myself. So we were going off of the videos. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yes. 
No, I haven't been that far north before. Or the south. Do we, they they get that's the thing that they get they find it. That's what Abner's gonna oh, tell them. Oh, he, here? Yeah. No, no, here, here. Um, you have to be in a particular place in Australia to catch okay. it. Okay, but uh, they have had very strong auroras that have been seen from uh, Victoria, but usually you've got to go down to Tasmania, mm. which is the island off off the island, and then if you go really far south into Tasmania, you'll see it there. Yeah. I, this, I mean, this also played into what we were doing. It's like, it's something it's like to be able to see it is, I mean, for most people, because most people aren't living that far at either pole, it it's yeah. extraordinary, right? It's this, 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 but mm -hmm. on the other hand, it happens regularly, I think. It's like the Aurora is a, is a normal occurrence. Yes. So there's this, this mystical normalcy. Yeah. Yeah, something that, that something that uh, seems miraculous that is actually happening every day, but most people can't see it because they're not at the poles. Yeah. So they're not in the position to actually experience that miraculous uh, revelation of the the Earth's uh, fields, and only when you're in the correct position can you actually experience that which was for us, I think, a good way of um, demonstrating that Christianity is exactly the same. In order to experience the light of Christ, you have to be properly orientated in order to see what everything, uh, what would appear in another way to be just uh, nonsense, non-existence, mm -hmm. impossible to reach, you know. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Very nice. The albatross. <laughs> Should I talk about him? Mm -hmm. The albatross. So, um, the, the our, our bird, our bird's a bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the albatross character in this story is named Abner, which means my father is light in Hebrew, Abnur. And uh, he's he's the mystic. So he, he arrives on the scene and he's familiar with the birds. Um, they know him, you know, they think he's a bit mad. He's always talking in riddles. People don't really understand him very well, but he's he's the one that introduces the the idea that the bears should go on the great adventure to find the to find the southern mm. lights uh, by flying in and speaking in his mad way. So yeah, Ab Abner was fun to write. <laughs> I was also so, so albatrosses. We we did we did do some research to figure out could he have gone that far north? They do have an incredible range. Mm -hmm. Um, and they and they they yeah. I mean they're enormous birds and stay very high and sort of. They have to flap a lot. Right? They're like Boeings. Yeah. They're like the Boeings of the bird world. Yeah. They just like they get they reach a certain altitude and then they just start cruising and they go and go and go and go and go. Yeah. Yeah. So he was that huge, huge wingspan. So we thought, yeah, he's like our um our long distant flight mystic. It was <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And and so and I think it's also in um it's in Coleridge's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. He has to the, you know, it's like if you killed the albatross, it brings horrible luck 
on the Mariners. And so and the, the ancient Mariner has to wear the albatross because he killed it, right? Um, um, so there's that, you know, the albatross, you need to attend to him. It's It's very bad luck not to. Yeah, that um, kind of uh, maritime superstition, but it's like a, a good omen to see particular creatures or a bad omen to see particular creatures. Right. So, so he's like, they're a good omen. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the next. So I we have we I that that one the, most the book the book mainly has well the. There's enough pictures in it that everything important <laughs> needs illustration, uh, and um, I have I have tested I've tested the pictures regularly on on small children, including toddlers, who are who are often very taken with. Um, but well, when we originally published the book, it was hand drawn bear, but she's now we're reissuing it so that it's Colleen Coggins because um, uh, mm -hmm. she's rebranding herself with with a donkey rather than the bear. Uh, she's done some beautiful Christian stories about the the donkeys, yes. uh, and um, she's a she's a wonderful storyteller with just the pictures. She's done a number of books that are literally just pictures, right? Some of her early books had no mm -hmm. words, so the 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 poem are, is working with the pictures to make you have different layers of appreciation. This is not a book just for. The twelve-year-olds who like alluropods. <laughs> it's it's yeah. also um, intermixed with you know some physical comedy for the for the animals. Yes, yeah. If you like slapstick, it's good. Yeah. But first, but first, we have to have Abner come and be all mystical, right? Okay, so here we go. <laughs> yeah. The bear. How else are you gonna get bears to move? Well, that's some of it. It's like Alfie is is just lying there, going, "Woo, cool colors, right?" He's not going anywhere. No. He's he's perfectly no. happy to be there. <laughs> you know, saying nobody can catch this. I'm, you know, I I think that going back to the you know, no no bear can cup the northern lights, right? It's like he's satisfied mm -hmm. at that point that this is as good as it gets. Right, it's like lying there on the ice floe, looking up at the, the lights, and there is, there is no deeper mystery. There it is. It's it's just the light play and the fumy, smoky color. But Abner tells him some other stuff. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> the bear's heart leapt to see his friend, the bird, the traveler whom no land could anchor long. Through monsoon tropics he had sailed, assured, while bears had learned to cast their nets along the polar North Sea in their childhood fjord. The albatross would always talk in song, in shoals of harmony his words were caught. He's odd, that bird, or so Ophelus thought. So there we we said that the, the, the albatross is you know, a distance traveler and to get from North South Pole to North Pole, he has to go through the the tropics. Right. So he's, he's mm -hmm. traveled all along. Whereas the bears are simply there in the North and, and they know their childhood places for fishing, but they don't know the rest of the world. Mm. 
Yeah, Abner's like a, he's like a, a, a nomad, you know, one of those kinds of people you meet, they've got lots of stories because they've been in lots of different places. Mm. And, uh, but it, it wasn't just the, like, you know, he's literally traveling because obviously you have to from north to south. We wanted Abner to be the way for the bears to access a kind of bird's eye view of everything because the bears are terrestrial. Mm -hmm. They're, they have to live, you know, in this story, we had, we had a really interesting uh, opportunity to, to show creatures of the air, creatures of the earth and creatures of the sea. You know, this, these categories of creatures, again, it's like a, not a Darwin category thing. It's like the creation Genesis story where you have God made the, the, the creatures on the land. He makes the birds, he makes the fish. Mm -hmm. So we have these kind of categories of creatures we we have in abner the creature that exists in the aerial he's an airhead but he's <laughs> literally in the air <laughs> he's like sky high and you know he's got his bird's eye view of everything and he just looks odd but of course you would seem very odd if the only view of of, of everything you get or the majority of the view you're experiencing of, of creation is up mm -hmm. looking down on everything else so it's like the perspective is flipped with Abner where the bears are grounded and they're in their terrestrial experience and, you know, they've got the terrain. So, uh, you know, Ab Abner's been traveling all over the place, but also Abner's traveling all over the place with this, uh, this aerial uh, vision of, of the whole world. So, yeah, it's kind of like that. The, the real astronaut of the story. Mm. He sees everything from up high. Wait, the, I, these are things I hadn't even thought about. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, it, it is true that we have creatures of, you know, earth, earth, air, and sea in, in all of mm -hmm. it, which, which matters. And, um, but, but what you're describing of Abner having that totally different perspective of the world. I mean, I was, I was mainly yeah. thinking of him as messenger, right? We have, in our mosaic art mm. mythology, the dove and you know, a pigeon, right? And the pigeon carries messages from the ship and to the ship and, and the bird, therefore the bird character needed to be the one that could carry those kinds of stories. Yes. Um, but, but as you were talking just then, I had the, the, everybody keeps putting like GoPros or whatever on birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Well, now we just get these so drones, right? endangered eagle alive and put a GoPro yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is what the bird sees, which is, is yeah. actually, um, you know, it's helpful because when we now have all the drones, I mean, it's like. The amount of aerial photography we get now very very easily because of the these drones yep. uh well that's very unusual in the old days yeah. you had to hire a helicopter or that uh, they'd get you know film crew would go up in a light plane it was very expensive right and that's why all that aerial footage became stock footage and it was used over and over again because if you had good if you had a good uh you know aerial shot of anything it was really really valuable uh, way back before the drones were, were, were everywhere and, you know, flying over everyone's backyard. Yes. <laughs> Invading their privacy. Yeah. Well, so the birds I, aren't I mean, real. Even... It's like the, 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 you know, the yeah. drone, the drones are everywhere now. And instead of the birds seeing us, this is, this is an interesting meditation. 
there's a photographer whose work I follow who's in um in Krakow which I think about every Sunday because we have a painting right. at St. John Cantius of St. Mary's in Krakow and the photographer mm -hmm. in Krakow I know it because he has dogs <laughs> and I'm like he does his corgis right but he's ah uh, yes but yes. he also does some drone photography around the city and so now I mm -hmm. think thanks to his um photography that I found out because of the dog so it's like follow the animals you'll end up with the you know the bird eye view of things I've seen I've now seen more of Krakow because he keeps doing very nice drone uh videos of his city mm. and this plaza yeah. where in 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 the in the altarpiece which you all see every at the beginning of of the mosaic arc right when the pan up goes up the altarpiece to the resurrection scene that's the image i'm talking about um that in that you just see that one building the saint mary and saint john cantius is in the front uh mending the pot for the the girl um now i realize you know there's a plaza around that and there's some other buildings and there's not very many um there's no not very many other tall buildings in Krakow. It's just that one, the the church, mm. and it's because you got this Abner view, but it's a drone Abner. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking how interesting cities would look like to the birds that are living in them. Mm. It's a yeah, they're in a completely different traffic. It's like it's aerial traffic. It's just a totally different experience. It's like when you're on a plane and you're traveling somewhere and you look out the window. I mean, human beings never had that view until how how many years ago? Really, it's quite, we underestimate exactly how strange it is to be able to take a commercial flight mm. and have that view. It's weird. So, yeah, I thought if Abner's traveling everywhere, then he's, uh, as you're reading it, you know, north to south and back to north again and going over the equator and he's he's in a completely different world yeah which is i mean it's fitting beautifully with this problem of the aurora is is ordinary but we don't see it and his view is yep. ordinary the bird's view is ordinary for the bird but we don't see it although it's so yeah you're saying with the planes that when i went down to phoenix for the tournament um i flew mm -hmm. over parts of the country that I've driven through a lot, but I was, I haven't, and I, but I haven't, I haven't flown that many times down to Arizona. And so I was saying, what am I seeing? I'm like lost. And I know I'm going, yeah. I know I'm, I'm looking at the map and I'm just like, okay, I'm going over places that I know like really well, like I grew up in, but I don't recognize <laughs> them from the air <laughs> at all. It's like, wow, exactly. So, yeah. So isn't that amazing? Yes. You're in exactly the same point, only up, and you'd have no idea where you are. Zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we got, we got, it. he's odd, that bird, for sure. Yeah. But trilled the bird. Stars melt down south, you know. And at world's end, they blaze with constant fire. For when the sun sinks under pale blue snow... The southern sky ignites like time's own pyre. Aurora strikes a chord that's deep and low, attuned with seraphim on emerald lyres, with burning crystals on the bow of rain. 
Lo, there was I last year upon Samhain. We get kind of mystical in some of our <laughs> I love this one. He went full woo-woo. He went he? goes total woo-woo. <laughs> should, we, should we explain this mm -hmm. one? Um, wait, could you say the first line? Oh, yeah, it's a, but trilled the bird, so he's singing. Uh -huh. Stars melt down south, you know. Yeah, so uh, that's the that's the southern the southern sky, mm. which does look different actually. So I, I mean, I've been very um, I've been been very blessed to have an Abner's an Abner's eye view of the world, because I've seen north and south mm. and the equator and everything in between, and the northern hemisphere sky looks completely different to Australia. Northern Hemisphere people, they notice it too. Mm. The sky here is different. It's like open and the light is different. If you go to New Zealand, the light, again, it's just completely different. I had a photographer friend who was in New Zealand saying it's weird. The camera's picking up on things that, like I've never seen mm. uh, pictures coming out in this particular way. So, yeah, the the southern sky, it's, uh, it's, it's like uh, kind of thinking about that, the stars burning. But... Um, What's the rest of the stanza? And at world's end, they blaze with constant fire. Yeah. That's a, um, at world's end. So that's the, the end of the map. The end of the map of Mundi. Mm -hmm. What happens when you've left the furthest point of the human world and you're at the edge and then because that medieval map is Jerusalem in the center and then at the outside we're in paradise. So he's describing the absolute edge of uh, of the world and the stars blazing. I don't know. It just got, it got very woo-woo. Well, but, sometimes, um, so I, I do think it's fair to say that sometimes you write this stuff and it just seems right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, but almost, you know, if, 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 if this is what's interesting about writing the poetry. If if not every time, right? It's not just because you get the rhyme and the meter right, therefore it's meaningful. But sometimes we do just write it to get those things right. It's like it scans yeah. and it rhymes. And then we're like, mm, is that right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> we're going to fix it. Yeah, it's like, because it, but I mean, it's interesting sometimes when you try to cram the sense in, it breaks. And so if we go yes. with the music of the sounds and the beat, it, it comes out right, even though we may not always completely know what it means at, 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 at the start. But, but yeah. so I'm thinking, it's like, I don't know if we meant this, but the blazing with constant fire, I'm also thinking now we've, we've described the, the crystalline sky, which is like the, the um, fixed, the fixed stars of the um, Ptolemaic firmament. And they're, and they're, they're just mm -hmm. all, I mean, you know, we, we think about it as like, they're always there. You don't see them because the sun's overwhelming them in the daytime. But the, the idea of the fixed stars is yes, they actually are blazing constantly. And so mm -hmm. um, when the sun sinks under the pale blue snow, so when it's night, this blazing reality of the light is visible it's like throughout this this mm -hmm. opening we're playing with this it's always there 
but you can't you don't always attend to mm-hmm. it that the mystical is not seeing something that is only blinking in and out and it's only there when you're watching it it's like it's absolutely always there but it's your attention that is what you have to train mm. the stars playing peekaboo mm. Yeah. But they're always there, blazing with this constant yes. fire. The southern sky ignites like time's own pyre. I do remember that we, we very purposely wrote that line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that that time, time, so light and time play out in this a lot, so that all of the celestial imagery has to do with clocks, right? We're going to end up, we have the, the puzzle yeah. we mentioned that we made, the video on the website that shows... Um, it being put together is called sky clock because we're thinking about the stars as marking time. And of course that's the way human beings understand time from antiquity is of the movement of the heavens. We know time, we know time because of watching the, the clock in the sky, in the sky. Yeah. So the, the celestial is our concept of time, wherever we are, right. and it's also uh, uh, it's, you're you're navigating time with the stars, the same way you're navigating space with them. If you're uh, a voyager on the on the seas, mm-hmm. so they're our reference point for uh, for everything. Aurora strikes a chord that's deep and low, tuned with seraphim on emerald lyres, burning crystals on the bow of rain. Singing rainbows. (laughs) There's a rainbow, yeah, so the rainbow imagery is quite powerful in all of this. So Aurora is, in fact, the, the Aurora Borealis, the Aurora, sorry, the Aurora Borealis of the North and the Aurora Australis of the South, that, that light, the mm. Aurora, is the light display or dawn. And I mean, for me, it, it's impossible for me to write any of these creatures without remembering how in the medieval descriptions of the symbolism, it's always Mary at some point. So the... Um, uh, Aurora is uh, the it's a for me a, a phrase from the Song of Songs where Aurora consorgains. She's the rising dawn. It's reference mm-hmm. of to the bride of 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 the of Christ, the bride of the bridegroom in the in the poem. But also that Mary is described as that rising dawn. So there's and then Aurora in the in you know the um, ancient epics is will be often the character like if you read it the Iliad or um is it in the Aeneid I now can't remember the rosy fingered dawn right is always one of the characters so you've got that light and it's the saying it's aurora is there at the level of the mythical to say there's this this light display um the chord I mean like saying that there's the seraphim are the angels that sing and the chord that's there um playing on their emerald lyres playing on that light display again that's all this green that is music and we had i don't think we knew this when we were writing it but it does make music 
We didn't know that it makes it makes like something that sounds like whale song, which is also topical for the poem. <laughs> yeah, which we didn't know at all. Which we didn't know we at had all. No idea. Yeah. No idea. Yeah, this happened a lot as you were writing. It's like sometimes we'd be yeah. looking at, you know, phenomena and saying, okay, that that's part of our mystery. We put that in, and then later on find out that indeed it was more of it than we than we appreciated. So there's time comes into it, the heavenly display, the song. And then the the crystals on the rainbow, right? So that that all of this light display in the heavens. And here Abner has been there and he's seen it. And I was there last on Samhain, which um, is playing off of you know again the myth the mythical that's playing out here. Samhain properly is All Hallows Eve. It's the 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 eve before the feast of All Saints. So and and the saints Halloween. The, yes, it's Halloween in the Celtic uh, naming of it. Um, but it's, he's there at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the end of the liturgical, liturgical year. Mm. The, the, at the, he's, he's there at the time when the veil between the worlds is thin and, you know, having that right. kind of experience too, which is like very appropriate for Abner. <laughs> Because he's moving between poles, so obviously he's going to be down there between worlds at some point. Yeah. So I think I so I I, I kind of want to just stop because we've gone we've you know we've done our time, but on the other hand, want to, to tease them a little bit to read the let that this next one, just to yeah, give a character care a taste of a character of what it goes on. I knew it! Cried the bear. The earth is flat, <laughs> which isn't necessarily. <laughs> a sequitur from what Ulfi just said it's like the bear the bear is assuming that he knows everything <laughs> based on this mystical description that the, the the albatross just gave him which it's like what i wish i had an airship to take wing which fits with our meditation on the drones and everything right? it's like how would a terrestrial creature get there right I'd fly up to the moon for real, don't laugh, to where the lights of time begin to sing. Which, to be fair, is what Abner's just described. But Ulfi's, mm -hmm. um, you know, immediate response is wanting to get into it somehow. It's like, but but mm -hmm. needing what a a, a a ship or um um. You know, piercing into the mysteries, going to the moon and such, at which Abner says, you'd never make it there and back. You're fat. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know north from south or what to bring. Your mother told you stories of the light, but you were busy getting into fights. Mm. Abner's trolling. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will, we will give you. It's like, this is, this is, here's what's a picture. This is what happens in the next stanzas, right? Yes. That Abner, Abner, he wants to excite Ulfi to quite literally get off his butt. Um, <laughs> and how would you do that? Right. Ulfi is there as, as we do. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a spiritual lesson here because so Abner shows up and says, I've been, I've been on this journey. I've seen these mysteries. I've seen this. I've, participated in this mystical rending of the veil between the earthly and the heavenly. And Ulfi is, I mean, his first response is if I had a machine, I'd get there. Right. So people, 
It's mm-hmm. like you want mechanisms that will make it easier. And I get, I yes. get, you know, I get straight up to the moon, right? It's like this. We can't even talk about the moon, right? We're talking about something that's within the 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 terrest the terrestrial, and he's going to go even further than Abner has because Abner's not doing anything above the moon. And Abner quite rightly says, "You'd never make it. You haven't done anything. You're just lying there." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i so i'm i'm working on a i'm i'm working on a, a little forward for a book that i've been asked to to comment on about prayer and thinking and it's like one of the problems with prayer is always you know it's like the first thing people think is oh great you know it's like a wizardry thing right i'm gonna want i'm i'm gonna find the right words and magically transport myself into ecstasy abracadabra right and And I'll get there, you know, I, you know, I knew it all along. I'm going to get there. I've got this mechanism. I take off, you know, in my airship and get to the moon. You're just a, you know. Well, I thought it was funny because Abner basically calls him a blimp after he says he wants an airship. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. You're not going to float. You can't, you're too heavy. Right. So there, there, yeah. Yeah. yeah, He wants to be a ship in the air and he's very much earthbound. Or sea bound. It's like yes. yeah, he's 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 earthbound, and and that being then, I mean, we we obviously we want Ulfie to succeed <laughs> in this quest because otherwise yes. there's no story. But there is that. I I think um, this that yeah. I I think it's it's accurate to say that you know often you show people these mysteries or you know they're described in the scriptures of the the angels singing in heaven in Revelation or you know, in the visions that Isaiah describes of the seraphim around the throne. And our our immediate response is how do, you know, can I buy it? Can I, can I, can I make some mechanism for getting, getting this? Mm, It's acquisitional mentality. Um, It's like collections, like taxonomy of things that you can collect and then say, I want that one. So how do I get it? I want that experience. How mm-hmm. do I get it? Which is a very modern thing. I mean, that's modernity, really. Like, I want that. So I'll just go and get right. it. And if I, if that person, you know, you know, it's like a, it's, it's not a, an experiential thing. Uh, and there's also no, no wonder in it you know right uh, abner is saying like i I, you know could you imagine telling somebody you've just had that experience and then their first response is oh i can get that too exactly (laughs) you know exactly instead of having the instead of having the the awe like wow that sounds amazing what is going on down there tell me more about this sky in the south tell me more about this is Oh, I could do that too. You know, it's this, it's, it's competition. Like, again, we go back to that Darwinism mm-hmm. thing, but it's the instant thing of like, I have to compete with this. I want to get it to that person or something, blah, 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 blah. back into that thing where Adna is, he's like, oh no, I'm explaining. There's a place where you've got to go and you got to see it for yourself, but you're in your current form. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not happening. <laughs> um, so yeah, 
it there's cute tension there. There's 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 cute tension there between those two characters, and it, yeah, thankfully Ulfilas does decide to go on an adventure. Well, he, he jumps up to, to try to bite Abner in the butt and falls in the water. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> that happens in the next stanzas, and I'm tired now. <laughs> no, it's like You'll this is. It. The the I this was great, right? I don't think we haven't talked. We so we wrote this in twenty twenty one. All right, so two years ago, mm-hmm. and it's it's actually. I mean, it's the, this is really good. <laughs> I think um, we've been away from it long enough to find things in it that we didn't realize that we put there or to forgotten things that we did purposely put in there but i think there's also the what we had to learn in writing and this is i I think one of the things that we probably want to unpack in the how do you how do you teach people to pay attention at this level obviously it's my job (laughs) at the university Mm -hmm. but even at in in our university teaching we don't everybody complains we don't go slow enough it's like I, I assign, I mean, it's like a historian, I assign hundreds of pages to, to get the students to read. And sometimes I do just want to say, let's just read this paragraph and mm-hmm. and see what we find in it. I did a I did a poetry reading with Zach Log and his friend Nate on Sunday, which on Chesterton's The Donkey, which you guys can see on Zach Log's um, uh, uh, YouTube. And... Zach Log memorizes poems and performs them for his his videos, but he also does these conversations where you just get one poem and read it and talk about it mm-hmm. and really unpack it. Say so this this kind of appreciation of word and craft and story. My sense is that's what people are really longing for and missing. Um, it's say yeah. you know we we enjoy it when when. We do it with movies, right? I'm going to really unpack the story and go through all the the, the uh, imagery and characters and things like that. We could do that with other, uh, you know, our, our our other literature, but we just don't right now, and we can, <laughs> and we can learn to read again. Oh, yeah. We can learn to read again with this like love for the vocabulary and the craft that it takes to tell a story well and i i do think i like i'm not completely despairing of modernity right i do think storytelling is happening at that level in other media i think you know sometimes it's happening in the movies for sure puss in boots the the last wish is very good (laughs) i'd like to talk Mm -hmm. about that one um but just to be able to slow down and really enjoy in, in the proper like deep sense of enjoy the way our art works mm. is something we miss a lot in education right now we're missing it from everything I think back in the 19th century, people the people had it partly because they were learning Latin and Greek, and you had to do it slow because you couldn't read it. So the mm-hmm. the complaint that the um, reviewer for Geeksender Grace made is 
that you know it's it's the the hard words that you have to look up and it slows people down i i have done a little reading to understand now like oh it's it's this horrible thing you'll make kids feel like they're they're inadequate if they can't read every word and they don't already know all the words it's like then how do you learn anything how do you ever f find yeah. knowledge if you're only bound by in your flat earth boundedness the world you already know there'll be never any mystery that you've you've encountered um but that it, it did just occur to me that I did do Latin in high school and, you know, to read Aeneid, to read Virgil, our teacher was very good. He made us sit down with each line and unpack, you know, you'd have to unpack it grammatically and unpack with the figures of, of um, imagery that Virgil was doing with his language and, and metaphors and, and things like that. Mm. And it was slow going. But when you read slowly like that, you one, you really remember it. it. It gets into you and you can live with it for the rest of your life. And um, two, it opens out at all of these levels that you're never going to get if you are just speed speeding it. Well, it's gaming with language instead of using language as a status, tool, uh, a mm. status uh, symbol. Because the only reason why a kid would read like that and say, oh, it's too hard for me, it makes me feel stupid, is if you're teaching kids that they should they should be uh, ashamed to not know instead of, like, the whole process of reading is a game. It's, you, mm -hmm. you know, if you're reading to your children, if you're reading to um, young people and you're playing as you're reading, you show them that it's a game to uh, explore and experience the language instead of being... Uh, embarrassed because they don't know how to say something or they don't understand a particular word or whatever. Um, if you're if you're the kind of person that likes to read um, that likes to learn foreign languages, you have this experience over and over mm. again because you get reset into being a baby every time you go into a new <laughs> language, and then people are laughing at you all the time. You know, oh, you sound so cute. Ah, oh, what did you say? You know, you say the wrong word. It means a completely different thing. It's all very embarrassing. But um, yeah, I don't know why. Why wouldn't you want that? Uh, that joy of finding finding something new as you as you're in a story. It just it seems to me like uh, <laughs> it's just the fear of looking stupid is stopping everyone from having fun. <laughs> like what? Why? Well, precisely yeah. because, and I, I think this that in the Secret Life of Words book, he mentioned someplace about when status becomes this word that like. Is, uh -huh. It is in the 19th century that, and we talked about this last week with the, the, what women want, like my saying, I want men with mm -hmm. skills <laughs> that yep. true status comes with high skill and the, 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 the sort of the, the dumbing down and restricted vocabulary lists and things like that is trying to short circuit the game, right? It's like Ulfi wanting the airship to get to mm. the moon, right? I want this mechanism that will short circuit the whole process, which they're going to have to go on the journey in in the story to get to those lights that Abner just described for him. He can't just jump in a ship and get there. He can't just get on the plane yeah. and, and you know, not take the journey. Oh, and they go on a boat, right? So, you know, not take the journey through the water, which in the, mm -hmm. in the creation story, which we started with, it's like the firmament is the division between the waters of the heavens and the waters of the oceans. So if you want to get to the firmament, you have to go in the actual water. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that in the 19th century with the empire that we were talking about, you know, they're training all of those, you know, Brits in the public schools in classics and that they go off and become the officers of the empire, <laughs> having read their Homer and Virgil. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it is interesting. It trains character to have to work through language this slowly. Your soul is trained by having to work through these verses. Mm. And then the bear bites the bird on the butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so that that's yeah. a opening demonstration of what we hope you can do with the story. And I think we we should keep continuing to read it, but it will take us. It, it's like I, there's a the um, Tolkien professor um, Corey, not blanking on his last name. <laughs> um, does these slow readings of Tolkien stories and it, Tolkien definitely Tolkien was trained in th these language studies he gets what it takes to mm -hmm. craft at this level and that's why you love the Lord of the Rings because it's crafted at this level of every word counts mm -hmm. and you can do this yeah. close reading with it and and I think maybe you only get that with people with authors who've truly been trained in unpacking language out of this level of precision maybe we should we, mm. should we should read more james joyce that'll probably work too <laughs> <laughs> okay well i'm i there's nobody to say goodbye to oh no there's there's a few viewers in the telegram and everybody on unauthorized <clears throat> we thank you for your support and hopefully next time you watch this live as we carry on in our journey on the mosaic arc with the bears more bears okay good night <laughs> good night <laughs>